So, Peter Samin, do you know what they always say? Um, never throw a cat out the window. I mean, that's true. <laughs> but what they, what they sometimes say is a beer in the hand is worth two hours in the bushes. Hmm. Yes. Great wisdom I'm instilling upon you right now. Keep preach, Ca- preach to me. Ca- <laughs> thou shalt not drink from an open container sat down at a party. Oh. These, this is my first commandment to you. I've done that before. <laughs> Say 50 hail Joe Bodas. <laughs> and then all will be forgiven, my child. Today is a very special day. Like any other special day that we have on this podcast. We're doing emails. Emails. We emails. finally got we finally got some more emails. More emails. Thoughtful emails. Emails with a purpose. Good. I love You know what? No. What? I, no? I, you know what? I love dumb emails too. Well, we got some dumb well, we don't have dumb emails, but we got some dumb questions in these very thought provoking oh, emails. I see. Yes. Okay. But that's all fine. It needs to be clarified because I feel like there was some miscommunication on the last email's podcast. I say dumb in an endearing way, as does Peter. Yes, me too. I I love dumb things. Dumb things are the best. Dumb things are the best things. So if you feel insulted when we call your question dumb, I'm not sorry. (laughs) I do not apologize for my verbiage. (laughs) Just understand that if we're reading it, it's because we saw value in it. Totally. Like... Think of all the emails we've thrown out, Joe. Yes. So many. All those emails yeah. that have been thrown out. We just we can't keep it all straight sometimes. We just start we just burn them, you know. We just we tried we burying tried them. Tried burying them, <laughs> then tried burying them, but now we've just decided to give them away. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> So, as was the way with our last email podcast, I'm going to open it up with a dumb question. Okay. Okay. A beloved dumb question. Beloved, okay. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Oh, really? You really? I like them both. Um, if I, shit, if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one, I'd have to go Beatles. But I mean, I like Beatles. both of them. Just, I just know the Beatles catalog way more than the Rolling Stones catalog. But there's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole bunch of Rolling Stones songs that I really love. But like, I know more Beatles songs. Yeah, uh, I honestly would have to go with Beatles as well. I think they're, I mean, um, honestly, I haven't listened, unfortunately, to a lot of Rolling Stones. That's my downfall. That's what makes me biased. I always felt like the Beatles had more variety. They do. It's amazing, like, just in the few years that they existed, how different they were from beginning to end. Exactly. Like, I've always been in this weird, well, not weird camp, but I appreciate the earlier stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. It's it's great. It's great. I mean, it, it it's like... It's old enough that it feels like it's from a different era, mm-hmm. but it's still kind of poppy, so you can kind of enjoy it even now. Totally. Um, while as their later stuff, the uh, drug, <laughs> the druggy stuff. The one where they're just playing like a sitar for like 15 minutes straight. Yeah, it's a little bit aimless. <laughs> Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds will always be have a special place in my heart, Yes, but I can't necessarily call it a musical masterpiece. <laughs> More of a marvel. Have you played um, the Beatles rock band? No, I have not. Oh, there's so many trancey sequences that they, because you know they uh, 
could do the graphics however they wanted to, so they did. It is it is crazy. Yeah, no, like I I've seen some screenshots from it, but yeah, no, that seems like a it seemed like a solid release <laughs> at the time because honestly, I can get behind most of the Beatles catalog. Yeah, even the stuff that I might not consider good, I can consider interesting. So definitely, it's a nice balancing act. So. Yeah, that's our unanimous opinion of Zucchini Thumbs. <laughs> Beatles over Rolling Stones. But, you know, they're both good. Yes. Also, if you haven't, followed Yoko Ono on Twitter. <laughs> that woman has a crazy Twitter account. It makes no sense. It makes no goddamn sense. So, I guess now we're going to move into some more, some heavier questions. Okay. See, I appreciate these emails that I get from this particular person because... They do. They are make you think. Yes. And they inflate my ego <laughs> as I talk like I'm an expert in an industry that I've yet to enter. You're getting there. We'll get there. So, question one. This is a bit of a personal question, but I think it's valuable nonetheless. What are the two to three most important attributes of an employer when you consider what companies you would like to work for? Benefits, salary, work culture, diversity of the workforce. I have a story to tell, Peter. Yes, tell me. Tell me these stories. We, I had a meet and greet with Cisco on Ohio State's campus this Wednesday. So last Wednesday. Okay. And, you know, at first it was going to be at a pizza place on my way, on my walk home from school. So I'm like, yeah, this will be great. But then they changed it last minute to the furthest possible corner of the campus. So in a huff and through the rain, I walked. And when I got there, I ordered a margarita, mm-hmm. felt pretty good, felt pretty good. Then I met the Cisco people, said hi to them. I was the only one with a margarita except for one of the other recruiters. <laughs> and they asked me, what was it like to work at Cisco? What do you like about Cisco? Now, here's the thing. I was a little buzzed. Yeah. You know, margar- those margaritas are strong, and I hadn't had too much to eat. So, unfortunately, I got super excited. Oh. I was super I become a super happy person yes. when I have a little bit of alcohol in me. Just a little bit. Not I wasn't drunk. Yeah, it's you all know, right. I was just having a good time. And what the words that came out of my mouth must have made me seem like the biggest kiss ass ever. Aww. I'm like, dude, I love Cisco. I like how you strike a nice balance. You guys are not corporate. You keep it very like team based. Yes. I don't feel there doesn't feel like there's a lot of pressure from higher ups. You know, the the culture totally seems one where each p- person respects one another. You know, there is no like looking down on someone. Th- at Cisco. There isn't like this weird competitive thing of like, I need to be better than you and beat the shit out of you. Or exactly. Like We're not crabs yeah. in a barrel pulling each other down. It's very supportive. Yes. I kind of tripped up on the second part because, of course, that was one extreme. The opposite being the Googles. Now, here's the thing. Google's attitude towards the workplace and your personal life, yeah, it's kind of weird to me. It's fucking insane. Like, if it were up to Google, the whole reason they make Google such an appealing company to work for is because they don't want you to leave. Yeah. They want you to be part of their group. They want your friends to be people at Google. They're a family, or they try to be. Yeah, it's really weird to me. They dominate your entire life, really. Right. Yeah, it's really weird to me. And honestly, I'm not all about that. I'm very passionate about what I do and how I do it. And at Cisco, there were many days where I was there until seven yeah. because I just, 
I was so close. you wanted to be there. I was so close to fi- fixing the problem I had, and I was not going to leave until it was done. Yes. That being said, I need some me time. I need some time separate from the company. I did not communicate that very well to the recruiter because it's very difficult to say, well, you guys aren't like Google and say that in a positive way. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I do sincerely mean that. So I think one of the big things that I'm looking for in a company is one that has a good work-life balance. You, you know, you are. Yeah, you're totally hitting it. And I I feel the same way about Garmin. Mm-hmm. Garmin as well. I think some of the best companies to work for are the ones that acknowledge like we provide you with we provide you an outlet to do the thing you love mm-hmm. and we will compensate you greatly for it. But at the same time, we understand that work is work no matter how you cut it. Totally. And you need you need that time away from work. So that way you can appreciate the work. Exactly. It's it's almost as if like a parent raising a child, you know, in that you love your kids a lot and you want them to succeed. You want them to do well and you want to do as much as you can to help them. But, you know, there's some times where you need a break. We all need breaks. Oh, totally, totally. You need that recharge time. Yeah. And that's that's what Cisco seems to provide. And that's what I love in a tech company. Uh, seems you do too as well. Totally. Because... There's so many other companies like Google does this. I know Amazon does this because I've talked to Amazon interns. Like there are companies that work you down. Like they will, they will burn you out. Like they, and they don't really care that much because they're like, well, you're, you're not going to leave because we're paying you a ton of money. But it's like, man, like you need, I feel like you need that recharge time. Like it's not even like, oh, you should have recharge. Like in order to make good decisions, in order to make good products, you need time to think. Totally. Yeah. So that is one of the huge things about it. Um, I guess would we would be lying if we said our salary was not important to us. Oh, yeah. Salaries. Well, so there's a weighted scale for me. Like to me, if I fucking hated my job and my salary was high, I wouldn't want that job. Like, but if my salary was, you know, if I could do something I really love and the salary is lower, but I love it, then I would go for that job. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it's one of those situations that can vary. Yeah. Um, looking at a job strictly from a salary standpoint and not weighing in other factors is, you know, it's... Yeah. I'll tolerate a, a certain amount of BS before the salary stops cutting it for yeah. me. Yeah. You know, but I'll never, I'll never put up with being miserable. But honestly, like, of the things that are listed here and of things that I can think of, like... Honestly, salary doesn't. It's not even in the like first five things I would say. Right. Like it's it's like I need to be working on something I'm interested in. I need to be, you know, have the work life balance. I need to be with people that I can relate with. Like the culture is important. And then way later, I'd be like, well, I'd like to get some money at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And speaking of which, I do think diversity is important. Um, I get along well with anyone. Yeah. Of all creeds and races. It doesn't. I don't necessarily go out actively seeking diversity. Yeah, me neither. But one thing I would like as far as diversity is concerned, and it matters to me, is age. I think having a yeah. company with a wide variety of age demographics is important. Because um, you get a different perspective from different people. Exactly. And that, and it's good to have someone to relate to. Like when I was at Cisco, a lot of the guys there, they're middle-aged, they have children. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's fine and good. And there were like a handful of people who were 23, 24, 25. 
And those are the people who I converse with more times than not, because we just had more stuff to talk about in general, you know, where we were at in our lives and our general interests, you know, video games being one of them. Yeah. It's just easier, and it kind of, like, helps you kind of integrate a little bit better when you have that gap or that ability to bridge that gap. Yes. Um, And, of course, the older people, we could still have discussions about, like, technical aspects, like, you know, we talked about code, like why Maven sucks. Yeah, we also use Maven. Yep, a lot Garmin. of people do. Yeah. But we also were able to talk about things like politics too, though mm-hmm. I don't usually like to talk about that. But I, I just, when I'm looking for a company, I would say foremost, more than anything, is they need to be making a product that I believe in. Like if I don't believe in your product, I'd, it's going to be hard for me to work on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I, I think this boils down my philosophy, uh, come for the work, stay for the people, Yeah, largely. Like, I, I went to Cisco because they had work that I liked, but honestly, like, those people there, they were great, and I could totally see myself, like, dealing with, you know, maybe not a project that I'm super passionate about, but something that I would work on, because what I enjoy most is the interaction with fellow developers yes definitely i do very much believe in the whole be social with your work group sort of thing yes i think that's important because like even just the few months that i was at garmin there were several different like work social events like pretty much every time we met a milestone they'd be like okay let's take the afternoon off and go get dinner like it's just important to be social with your team so that way you are friends with them and you can work with them and trust them exactly like if your best friends are your coworkers, I, I, that that makes just the good times roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I never really get from some people is how they like talk about yeah. how they just don't want to talk to anyone. And at their they work. hate their jobs and stuff. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like I can't. Everyone here sucks balls. Like, it's like I don't believe you for a minute. Like, you know, maybe there's some workers you don't see eye to eye with and you don't yeah. want to associate with, and that's cool. We all have those in our workplaces, but. You know, if you can't find anyone that you relate to on some level, man, I don't think you're working or looking very hard. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, one factor that I, I just remembered that is actually kind of important because I know a lot of companies have had this issue in the past, IP. So a lot of places, if you work on a side project, which I mean, a lot of people work on side projects, they claim that as like well since you were working for us at the time then we own the ip of what you just worked on but luckily like at garmin i don't know how cisco does it but they they let you own the stuff that you work on on the side they don't claim that everything you ever work on at any time is theirs which is i think that's important i know some companies don't do that like when i was at texas instruments they're like yeah basically anything you work on is ours i was like well that's kind of shitty I think you could possibly, yeah, Cisco never explicitly said one way or the other. They have an incentivized patent program where it's like, present your oh, patent to us. Yes, this, yeah, actually, actually, Garmin does that as well. Yeah. They're like, hey, if you, want, if you want to do a patent, we can go through our resources and we'll help you patent it. Well, that, yeah. and but at least with Cisco, they basically say, we'll drop 3000 to $5,000 yes. on you regardless, even if this turns out to be a completely useless thing that we never use, if it's a good enough idea that we accept it. Mm-hmm. We'll give you this much. Of course, then they own it. Yeah. So that $5,000 might be a proverbial drop in the bucket for what that potentially makes. True. Or it could be more than what it potentially makes, but you know. Yeah. 
But that's a voluntary system, so I'm not sure if I could probably get away with working on something on the side and not yeah. having them. Because that's a legal thing. They'll tell you that totally. they own it, but that doesn't mean anything yeah. until the lawyers show up. It's just I know that a lot of people uh, that I was working with at Garmin had like side projects. Like this one guy, Tim, like he has an entire thing where he's trying to make an algorithm that analyzes Twitter so that way he knows what companies are in the know and then using that to to like project stock prices like shit like that that's awesome yeah pretty pretty crazy so those are some big things to us for work um i think again i think it also probably reflects in our age because what's important to us might not be important to us 10 years oh, down totally the line. like if i had kids i feel like the salary would be a lot more important of course the <laughs> benefits yeah. Job security. Like, I'm not yeah. necessarily afraid about losing my job. Oh, totally. Like, if I lose my job now, it's like, well, I just, I'll just go look for another one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, that's uh, one question from here. Another question. What advice do you have for tech engineering students who want to find an internship and gain some real-world experience? You had some trouble finding an internship for a while, Peter. Did I? I don't know. It seemed like you were hunting around, but the thing is, not a lot of people were biting. Unfortunately, it sounded at least like that. I think it's more so than anything. Like I've had an internship. I mean, I've had three internships already, um, mm-hmm. and I've had one every year that I've tried to get one. It's just more so that, and, and this is important. You got to try everywhere. Just throw like. Just throw your resume anywhere that seems interesting because you don't know where wh- what place is gonna like want you or not want you. Plus, some like it's good to have practice communicating with different people. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's probably like people. You probably got the idea that I was getting I was getting turned out at a lot of places, but that's also because I was submitting my stuff to a lot of places. I wasn't being super selective, mm-hmm. so that's when it ma- makes it seem like oh man, everyone's turning me down. It's like, but all you need is one place. And that's why I say like. The first internship is the hardest. Like once you get one and then then it kind of rolls into like, okay, now you have experience. You can use that to get another one and it's a lot easier. But just getting that first one and I kind of lucked into it because there was this one company that was just looking for someone and they sent an email out on the Rose Holman campus and I volunteered like, yeah, okay, sure. And it was a shitty experience, but it was experience. That's all that matters. So it's just, it's just trying, trying again, uh, keep practicing. You need to be able to pitch yourself. You need to be able to say what is important to you and like what you're good at. Like you need to be able to communicate w- like your interests and what fuels you to these recruiters. Totally. Yeah. It's sent. I think it's worth always trying out or sending your resume to someplace even if it does not look like on the surface something you'd be 100% into mm-hmm. just to get... Because that's the point of internships is they kind of like let you expand your horizons, you know? Totally. Academia has very specific focuses that they teach you that aren't necessarily one-to-one comparable to the real world. You never know whether or not you want to work with databases and data, like big data, until you actually have a job in it. Uh, yes, while is what you experience in academia is very theory and you don't necessarily ever have hands-on experience with that. No, like the real world experience is just, yeah, it's so important because it's so much different from school. Like it really is like it's, it's, I mean, sure you learn the theories, but like actually being on a team and like working on the actual problems, like at least I think it's, it's a lot different. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I think you can apply this not just to CSC, but other fields as well as oh, yeah, also totally. to keep your, I mean, just in that sense. And also, I, it, I'm trying to think of a better way to put this. I want to say, like, keep keep your standards low. And I don't mean that, like, just apply to only bad companies. I mean, like, for instance, many people in computer science will probably be real tempted to only apply to places like Microsoft, yeah. Cisco, these big tech companies. And, you know, they're probably great to work for, and mm-hmm. they are the top tier, like, this is what you should be striving for. But, you know, there are also a lot of smaller companies, too, that you can get just as, like, important experience from. Totally. And a lot of times, you just need to start with the smaller companies and learn from there. Because, like, the first place I interned at was, like, some random company in Indianapolis. Like, no one's heard of heard of them. Like, you just need to get in and, like, get your hands dirty. And plus, yeah, you, you never know what you'll find. Like, maybe there's some company you've never heard of that is really cool. And you learn that. Yeah. It's totally worth looking for. I'm outside of just what companies to apply for. If you're at a university, which I assume most people would be if they're going to pursue, like, tech fields, use your resources. Like, if the university has a career service, yes. use it. That's how I've gotten every internship offer I've ever had is they host the interviews, they let it they make it so you're essentially a number when applying, which makes it great because that way you don't necessarily have to worry about um having connections. Like connections are another big factor. Yeah. Is if you have time to communicate with someone from the Microsofts and the Apples of the world, do it. Yeah, and and that's definitely important. That's honestly that's where one of my biggest failings is is just that I don't network well and that's more so that like honestly maybe it's just me but I'm just feel like I'm always so busy so I don't feel like whenever there's like oh it's a networking event it's like well I could either do my homework or I could go to this event and talk to some people for an hour it's like eh, well I'm probably gonna do the homework but yeah I feel like if you have a good personality and can talk to people then that's that's an incredibly important like thing to take advantage of. Obviously, like that's probably one of my shortcomings. That's probably why I'm not at like like I was saying, like a lot of places turn me down, probably just because I don't have the connections with them. But if you know a bunch of people at a company, like I would say like you're more like tenfold more likely to be hired by them. Totally. So it's always those connections are important, but career services also do a good job of filtering out those totally. people. Or not filtering out those people, but filtering it in such a way that you're likely to get just as much show time as another person, you know, Mm -hmm. because they don't, the employers don't necessarily have the ability to regulate that. Um, And just use your resources. Like, there's so many people that I know of that's like, like, I don't know how to get a job. It's like, well, like, there's so many places, like, there's so many websites that just literally just have job postings and like places where you can manage your resume and like and as you said joe the career career services like that's so like there's so many tools for you out there you just need to use them yeah and whenever you have the chance to just set up an on like set up an interview like take it in that I guess what I'm saying is uh, online resume like submittal service for each company. It's mm-hmm. kind of a black hole. Yeah. If you have a way to speak to someone directly, get your resume to them in person, and then organize an interview, that's your best option. Mm-hmm. And even if you think you may have an internship on lock, interview with other people too. Because definitely, definitely. The interview is the make it or break it. That's what they decide whether or not they're going to have you Never. as an intern. Never have the only place you're interviewing be the place you want to work at because you need that practice before you go to the real thing. Yeah. Like, 
even as I was talking, I I'm pretty good with interviews. I'm good. Jo- I do a good job at asking questions. Yeah. I can articulate myself. And see, well. Joe, this is where you're probably better than me because I suck at interviewing. Like no matter what, I end up looking like an idiot. And I've take I've had so many of them. And I think mostly it's just like I'm an odd fellow. I, I I have weird interests, so when people ask me questions, I answer them in a way that they don't think is typical, and sometimes that scares people. Totally. <laughs> well, even I have had a few cases of me putting my foot in my mouth, yeah, uh, like static methods in Java and saying they don't exist. See, that's not even what I'm talking about. Like, sure, technical side, but like even me, just like I don't know, someone said something like, oh. Yeah, well, they like they always have those hypothetical scenarios. Just like, well, blah 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 is doing this, and it's you know doing this, and it's bad. Blah blah blah. And like, how would you react to it? And I, and I, they always, I always seem to get weird looks when they when they say how I would react to it. It's you always. It's the striking the right balance and telling them what they want to hear. Yeah, but also making yourself stand out because honestly, those questions I don't think are meant to be some exercise in creativity. No, I mean they appreciate creativity. But let's be honest, if they're talking about conflicts in the workspace, they want you to give the pre-canned answer. Which is too bad because oftentimes I don't really give the pre-canned answer. I actually give like my honest, like what I would actually do. And they don't necessarily always like that. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I guess I'm more, I I think a lot of times they want you to work through like HR or, or like stuff like that. But like. A lot of times I try to work things out on my own before and leave other things like that, like going through the actual company as like a last resort. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I guess in summary, uh, keep your options open. Yes. Use your resources and play ball with the employers. And practice. And practice. Practice, practice, practice. So moving on to the next question. If you weren't able to pursue a career in a STEM field, there's that word again. STEM. What would you likely think about doing for a career? So no STEM fields at all. Yeah. What 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 what, what did you always dream of being before an engineer? I wanted to be a cartoonist. I can see it. I would be a cartoonist if if there was no such if if there was no science options for me. It. I would straight up be an artist. Like I just want to make cartoons. Like I guess now it's all digital, so I'd just be like an animator. Like I, something like that, I'd be totally into. I'm trying to think what I would be doing. That's a good question. <laughs> a lot of my, a lot of the stuff I've ever really aspired to be, like artsy fartsy, is the easy route to go. Um, Jeezel, yeah, I can't think you could of be too a writer, much else. Joe. I would probably try. I would do probably a creative field. You know, like the only other options I can think of are like poli sci, like law, or. Stuff like that. You can no. make your own country. <laughs> Outer <laughs> heaven. No, I, I would probably also be doing something creative, either writing. Um, I I would probably be a toe between journalism or maybe like probably something with a little bit more uh, flowery language. Yeah. Uh, either writing or, or maybe even music. But, you know, I like... I. It would be very niche. I don't see. Yeah, it's tough for me to say any of this because it's like I don't think I could make a living off of this. I think I could be a goddamn good writer. So that's probably where I would head. 
I would probably try something practical out like journalism. Yeah. Or maybe if I like if there's some place I could post short stories. Amazon. Like in a publication. Yeah. Maybe self publishing. Yeah. Self publish it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Get a cult of personality around me. There's a lot of options for that now. Oh, totally. I mean, it's, if Dan Riker can do it, I think yeah, you can do it. The freaking WrestleManiac can do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's probably what we would be doing. Um, Last question from this email. Okay. What do you think are the qualities that make someone a good manager in the tech world? Hmm. That's a good question. That's a... It's a tough question. It's a tough question. I think empathy, and I don't just mean like empathy for my emotions, but just for what I do as a developer, like meetings. Meetings suck. Yeah. There's nothing I like or hate more than if I'm like in a groove and then I have to go full stop because I need to go to this meeting where we're talking about stuff that we've already talked about a hundred times before. Go to your daily scrum. Yeah. Daily scrums can be helpful. But then there are other meetings about like the overall project, and it's like I don't care about this mm-hmm. component going on over here. That's not necessarily relevant to me right now. So I think being able to just like not be overly intrusive, especially yeah. during a crunch. Yeah, I think trying to strike that balance between hands on and hands off, like knowing like where to draw the lines of like. Yeah, you need to be able to like dictate and like kind of say what's going on with the project, but also you can't control every facet of the project. You got to give some leeway for the developers to make decisions. Totally. Yeah, I think it's again, it's kind of like a subset of the work life balance, and now it's work social and work productive balance. Mm-hmm. In that, when do you approach me if we're going to get like lunch or something? Or if there's a social like event that has been planned, I think that's a great time to like strike yeah. up a conversation. Um, being social for the sake of social uh, during the hours of like nine to eleven and three to or two to five or something is a little bit more hazy. I think that's the balance I would like to take. Like I don't like the ofi- open office sort of setup. You know, when I'm in the zone, I need the zone, and I did have managers at Cisco who would come around and say, hey, what's up? What are you doing? Or how's it going? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to work on this thing. Oh, no, I've already forgotten what I was working on. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a problem. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's... Also, just for a manager, just being, like, relatable, like, being able to... Like, someone that you can actually talk to. Like, there's nothing worse than, like, a manager that you're, like, intimidated by. Like... Mm-hmm. Like sure you want to respect them but also be able to be able to talk to them and not have that sort of issue. Yeah. Yeah, especially if it's also good to have a manager who came from where you were at. Yes. Like nothing against master students, like nothing against higher education in general. It's super important to have, but nothing is more frustrating than having having someone with a very limited development experience be your manager yeah because then they have no clue what's going on the project they're all theoretical more so than actual practical right like i i respect the hell out of a manager who could just dive into my code yeah and put some shit together like totally totally yeah that that just reminded me of a time when i when i was at um texas instruments two years ago um I was working on this uh, networking code for one of the servers we were working on. I was like, man, I just don't know how to get this to work. And my manager came and he's like, oh, 
<laughs> I wrote this 15 years ago. Here, let me do it. Like, seriously, like, this was the same code he wrote 15 years ago at Texas Instruments. He's like, here, I'll change this and that. There you go. Now it works. I'm like, man, that's really cool that you were in my shoes like 15 years ago. Yeah. Just being relatable, that empathy. And you can almost put that to any other, like, office environment, honestly. My dad has has said very similar things about where he works, about, you know, what would he would expect from his manager or what he would like out of his managers. Mm-hmm. So, I think that answers that big old question. Just an empathetic leader. They don't have to be the most competent. No, not really. Like, I don't necessarily, like, disrespect someone if they're not as knowledgeable as me, but for them to at least understand, like, what I have to do as sort of grunt labor. As long as they, like, know how to treat people and, like, and they, they can learn from things and see, like, how the project's going, like, you know. It's basically the same core things that you would want in like a leader or like some someone that's uh, like a in office or something like that. Totally, yeah. Like if you are a politician, you don't need to know everything. Yeah, but you need to at least be willing to listen and exactly. understand when a complaint rears its ugly head. Totally, totally. So, we also have this article here, and of course, I can't necessarily point everyone to the article. So I'll summarize. It's an article that says, Is Twitter the next playground for gamers? And this article points to various examples of how Twitter bots, robots on Twitter, have become more interactive in that some of them will post puzzles or games that people can play and people can interact with. And the email simply asked, what are our thoughts on this? And another example they had was um, two different chess player bots that were submitting chess moves through Twitter. And literally these two bots were playing chess with each other through Twitter, which is kind of kind of cool. Which opens a promise for human interaction on that level as well. Yeah, I I think it's really cool. I mean, I don't think it's going to be I mean, I don't see it really like expanding into something that uh, a lot of people would do. But I, I, I it, like Twitter is a really good tool. Like I just off the off cuff, I kind of thought of a cool idea of like, you know, if you're a developer, whenever you do some sort of multiplayer or something like that, you have to pay for servers. You have to make an infrastructure to communicate between the players. Twitter is basically free servers. Like you could make some sort of Twitter Twitter integration that literally you do multiplayer by communicating between Twitter accounts via tweets. Like that could be an interesting way to do like turn-based games. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. Like just piggybacking off of that service. Yeah. Um, naturally, nothing really true, truly sophisticated will probably come of it. It's an interesting idea, nonetheless. Yeah. I don't think Twitter is going to be the next latest and greatest platform for games, but it's uh, it's an interesting concept. Yeah. I, I like the idea of using any tool in a way that was not expected, but is super creative. Oh, yeah, no, totally. That's kind of what, something I like about our field is just the versatility in which we can use old things in new ways. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's all just binary. You know, it behaves very similar um yeah there's it's interesting i myself have not participated in any of these twitter games but neither have i 
but it's interesting that such a thing exists and will probably continue to exist. <laughs> yeah. So, now we're moving on to a new email from a different person. Yay. This one is a little bit more uh, interests and hobby-based, not as centered around our particular field. Yes. But I think it might be interesting to poke at. now. Let's go for it. First question... If you could be one character in the Game of Thrones series, which would you be and why? I like this blank stare that I'm getting from Peter. He does, he's not never, familiar with I, the I series. Do, I do not watch Game of Thrones, so I, I have no idea. Yep. Unfortunately, Peter is out of this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I would be... Uh, who is it? Uh, Khaleesi? Or that's the name of the queen. So let me set up the Game of Thrones universe for Peter here. There are two continents. There's Westeros and then there's like Easteros or something. There's another continent somewhere <laughs> else. It's kind of viewed off the map. Like it's never really complete. Yeah. Because it's just assumed, oh yeah, there's lands out here. We don't know what they're... So Westeros, the main continent, has all the warring factions that are fighting for the throne. And then this other con- continent, there's only really one main character there. It's this woman who can control fucking dragons. Hmm. So she is apparently a a Harris to what would be the throne, but they were usurped and have been in exile in this other continent. And now she's building an army to take it back. And her number one negotiating tactic is, I have dragons, you don't join my army or die. So she's pretty badass. <laughs> also, her brother was a dick and got, like, metal poured on him. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. The wedding ceremony <laughs> was gruesome. So, yeah, I, w- I would probably be her because everyone else dies. Who do you think I would be, Joe? Because I don't know any of the characters. But um, who do you, who who would do you, you think I would be? There is this dude. I can't remember his name. I can't see. Okay, I'm not good with the names, but there's this one dude. He's huge. He's this big old dude. He's kind of gruff. Um, And he ends up. He's, like, playing for the bad guys, I guess you could say, quote-unquote. Okay. Uh, the Lannisters is what faction he aligns with. He ends up taking hostage one of the girls of what you would call the good guys, uh, the Starks, who are up north in the winter, in winter, Winterfell, I believe it's called, or something like that. Winterhelm. Okay. Either way, this dude ends up, like, kidnapping her and is holding her hostage as they roam about the countryside. But at some point, they become friends in this weird sort of way. Uh, You would probably be that dude because he's kind of a boss. I like Uh, being a boss. He's kind of a boss. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to name a character that hasn't either already died or is like a part of some incestuous relationship. (laughs) So... So I would not be in an incestuous relationship. I would hope not. That would yeah. be gross, Peter. That's a gross <laughs> thing. So I want to say they call him the Tower. Maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I'm just like getting some generic name from somewhere else. Mm. But I think that's like people who like watch the show should know who the guy I'm trying to describe. Um, that's who you would probably be. Okay. You would appreciate him. I feel like I would. All right. Next question, why don't people have board game nights anymore? It brings the whole family together. So, I don't understand this question because I have a board I have board game nights pretty on the regular. 
I don't know anyone who has board game nights on the regular. Well, maybe it's because I go to a nerd school. <laughs> like, yeah, it's because you're a nerd. Yeah. No, especially uh, the past two years, le- a little bit less so this year, but that's because my roommate moved, uh, graduated last year. But he was big into board games, so literally every other weekend we would be playing board games. Um, but I know a lot of people just down the hall from me that literally every week they they have a board game they have board games going on and there's a board game club meeting every Friday at this um, at the pizza place on campus and I'm there you, I, I'm usually there to see what kind of board games are going on so like yeah like I, I don't know I see board game stuff I mean honestly like if you want to have a board game uh, night then make one for yourself like coordinate a board game night with your friends like go ahead do it like it's fun yeah I don't I don't unfortunately have board game nights it's a lot of setup, a lot of overhead. Yeah. Last time I played a board game with anyone was Monopoly, and I played it with Tim, Adrian, and Tim's brother mm-hmm. Daniel, and it almost ended in murder. <laughs> like seriously, we we they they make funny jokes about how Monopoly tears families apart. Oh, it does. Oh my God, it's not even a it's not even a joke anymore. Like there was a point where. I think it was Tim was steamrolling us, and so in a last ditch effort, every time me or Daniel got out, we just handed all of our properties over to someone else, <laughs> and it just like almost ended in me like jumping across the board and stabbing Adrian. I think it was. So I was just like I yeah. was like visibly frustrated, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is just a game. I've never felt this way about anything before. <laughs> Oh no! What have I become? Board games, yeah. Board games. That's why one thing that's really good about board games is like it can be fun, but also it can get really nasty, but like in a fun way, you know. <laughs> I yeah. Like like yeah. And it also depends on what game kind of board game you're playing. Like, there's some really like intense hardcore games, or you could just play something casual. Like, um. I'm, Ticket to Ride. I was about to say that. I was going to say like that. Like my friend introduced me to Ticket to Ride. I'm like, this is great. I love trains. Let's do this. Like it's a lot of fun. Some point, like I've, or if you want to get more intense with like things like Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Some people were setting that up a game of Dungeons and Dragons in the computer science department here at OSU. And like I think they may have asked me to join, and I'm like, I don't know, man. See, the the thing with Dungeons and Dragons is that it's a big commitment. Like if you're if you join, you're basically signing up for months of playing. Yeah, like I mean, I'd be fine with that commitment. I mean, I would like to. I'm fascinated by it. The problem yeah. is again the overhead, and I'm a complete noob approaching it, oh, yeah, and totally. I like to be spoon fed like no other. So I would feel like I'd be kind of a burden, especially if other people were familiar with the game more than I was, because then you just it would slow it down to like mm-hmm. ten times slower than the game could potentially be with more experienced players. I don't want to be that burden. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's a it's a curious case. I would. I don't know. I'm just not a big board gamer unless like the opportunity presents itself. If someone invites me to play a board game, I'll play it. But see, that's the thing. Like I'm not big with board games either. Just at Rose, the opportunity is continually presenting itself. Just everyone there, well, not everyone, but there's a large subset of people at Rose that are into board games, and they just happen to live around me. Yeah. So, yeah. I sometimes miss that dorm life. Sometimes. So, I guess moving on to this last question from this email. Should ISPs be regulated under Title II? What does that even mean? <laughs> So the short answer is yes. 
Do we want to go into the well, long the, answer? Get in the long answer. Um, we got to fill up this podcast. <laughs> we only have the 45-minute mark, dude. So title, title 2, basically what Title 2 is, is it's a utility. So kind of like how electricity is a utility, water is a utility. Um, it's something that is viewed in the government's eyes as something that is necessary for people to have Thus, they regulate it and keep it at a reasonable price, and it's open to where different people, different things can, different companies can provide it. But the way that internet is now, it's kind of controlled by these giant telecoms, and so it's not open in the way that something that was covered by Title II would be. And um, so, basically, I mean, there's a lot of things that will that will change once internet is made Title II, which it's slow, like. It's slowly transitioning. Um, a lot of these big companies are trying to stop it. Like Comcast is having a field day about it, trying to get it to not get uh, get finished. Um, the best way to look at it is the water and electricity you get are via public means. Yeah. The pipes are owned by the government. The electrical lines are owned by the government. These guys are the ones your taxpayer dollars go to maintaining these as well as your electricity payments and water payments. It's yes. all kind of mixed together a bit. And it's all open to where literally anyone can use it. While the way internet is now, all these networks are owned by giant companies. And then other companies are at the mercy of these other of these giant companies to use their bandwidth. Right. They're renting out the space, so to speak. And, you know, like with electricity or water, it might be like run by one company. Like they may have a contract with the city, Mm -hmm. but the city, if it decides to, can just kick them out and be like, we want someone else now. Assuming the contract has ended and they're not renewing. Exactly. So basically, I mean, it's going to be hard because a lot of these big companies do not want to have it changed because that just means they're going to start, they're not going to make as much money because right now in the States, we pay a lot for internet access and our internet access sucks compared to other countries Mm -hmm. there's always the claim for the density issue and that we have a lot more people spread out over a lot larger space well as europe they're concentrated a lot more so it's a lot easier to manage Mm -hmm. but i guess the best way to look at it is even if those problems are not fixed by title two they are certainly at least going to yeah. be like massaged or helped yeah, a little bit. Totally, because now with Title II, it'll be more open to where like whatever the best provider is, they can compete. Like like a little guy can come in and like stir up the industry and be like, okay, we're like and raise the bar, so that way the big companies have to like raise their bar as well. Right. Even if they're offering service in a small area, their service can their service can be equally as powerful mm-hmm. as Comcast or Time Warner or what have you. Um, yeah, they will not be inhibited at all by these guys. It also will stop Comcast and Time Warner from throttling certain ISP or certain, uh, IPs. Like Netflix. Like they've been throttling Netflix for years. Yeah. Because it's taking up too much of our bandwidth, which is weird because bandwidth isn't necessarily like it is Mm -hmm. tangible, but you know, if people are using it's tangible, but they're double dipping, you know, they're charging you for your bandwidth usage but now they're throttling netflix and saying no you gotta pay for the amount of bandwidth you're putting out and it's like you're double dipping dude because you're effectively uh, paying for the same line of the yeah. tcp connection it's because they don't want to they don't want to put in the actual money to make their network better so they'd rather just be like well we'll 
charge them. Yeah, it'd be like a collect call that you make to a friend, but now you're both paying the same amount. So, like, if I'm making a long-distance call to Peter and I have to accept the charge, he's also going to be paying yeah. that charge. That's what it is. It's a one-way connection, mostly, mm-hmm. if you if you want to think about it that way. So they're charging both ends money, so they're double-dipping, and that's that's no good. Like, that's not fair. And yeah. it's also just com- anti-competitive. Because yeah, if you're it really off- sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So Especially because, and, and especially with Comcast and Time Warner, they have a, a an interest in stopping people from using Netflix because people are cutting the cutting their cable lines like they're not paying for their cable services so they'd be like oh well we'll just stop Netflix and then you'll come back to us for cable and uh, so yeah it's basically it's going to be hard like it's going to be a lot of work cuz already a bunch of different companies are suing um about this change but one like you know in a few years once the dust is settled i feel like it's going to be a good place to have it as a title too right yeah this is this all works to set a neutral ground for internet companies to compete Mm -hmm. you know it's not like the government is not making its own isp you know it's not like we're necessarily handing over all matters of the internet over to the federal government we're just asking the federal government to come in and be like sup everyone like stop screwing over each other if you're going to screw over each other do it in a way that's competitive like pro competition and and also they can set regulations such as I, i mean this happened a few weeks ago but um the government officially changed what the definition of high speed internet is and they changed it to be like five times faster or something like you cannot claim that you have a high speed internet service unless it's at least this fast so just there changing that regulation has made it so that all these companies that are claiming to have high speed internet they have to improve their network now right and it's not and it shouldn't be looked at as oh no they're making a mandate so it's going to cost us all this money these companies are getting to some degree, they're getting subsidized by the government yeah. to expand their networks. And on a per capita basis, to meet up to the standard is a drop in the proverbial bucket. Like also, this is not yeah. outside of their realm of. The, the thing is, like money-wise. most of these networks, the service they're providing is really bad, and that's why they need this push. Because otherwise, they'd have no other reason to improve. Because like we're talking about places that literally have like one megabit down like that 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 kind of shit like that's that's terrible like you can't have that in this day and age like you like that's terrible because like i think the new regulation is that like you can't say it's high speed unless it's like 10 megabits down or something like that like it has to be substantially higher so and they're also just they also will are falling they're also following suit and how do i articulate this they are falsely advertising yes services in that my parents just recently got fiber optics, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Fiber is a very, very fast internet it's connection. It's like a gigabit a second. That's what it should be. Yep. Fiber optics, by this definition, I want to say is in the 20 megabit yeah, that, range. Yeah, that's where I'm at as well. When I go home, that's usually what I get around. That's not fiber optics. Yeah, that is not. <laughs> when I talk about Google Fiber and I talk about Cincinnati Bell fiber optics, I'm talking about two completely different services. You wouldn't know. If you were a layman, you would not know the difference between these services just by that name alone, Mm -hmm. only by looking at the specs. And even then, you might be confused because you don't necessarily comprehend 
the difference between a gigabit speed and a megabit speed, you know? Yes. You know one is larger than the other, but by what factor? I mean, I wouldn't expect someone to know that. Even so, like, if you were a layman, you might be like, well, 20 is bigger than one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would like to give some people credit because, you know, a a gigawatt versus a kilowatt versus a megawatt. Mm -hmm. There There are comparable examples that some people can relate to, but, like, just in scale of time, it's tough to comprehend. Like, a 10 megabit... Uh, speed might take two hours to download something, while as a one gigabit like, takes yeah like seconds seconds yeah it's, it's crazy. That's the part that you need to wrap your head around <laughs> yeah. that not, not many people could, uh, intuitively anyway. So that's another thing. That's the significance of redefining high speed internet because any with one megabit connection, any asshole can say that they're running high speed internet. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily make it high speed though at mm-hmm. least by our standards you know you need to regulate that, those definitions cuz otherwise people are going to get screwed over what they expect and what they're getting totally so that answers that question yes the passion we're getting to that point where I'm passionate about everything peter i'm so passionate i i just want internet to be faster it needs to be faster it's we are like 50th on like internet speeds in the world how sad is that i mean Yes, it's not good. It's it's really speaks to our priorities. I'm not a very political man, Peter. Nope. You're not a very political person. N- not at all. We much keep to ourselves, and if we can live comfortably, we accept a lot of what comes our way. But it really speaks to our priorities when Internet is something that we do deeply care about because it is not only our passion, it is our job. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, like my company works with routers. My my company has an entire social network on the internet that is dependent on connections. Exactly. That data transfer and whatnot is important. It's important to us, you know, like you can give us crap for a lot of things that we seem to have apathy about things that probably are more important to the general population. But you know, these, these issues in particular though, it's just super relevant to us. So, and we can speak, uh, speak well about it. We can speak a lot of things. We can talk forever. <laughs> oh, That's I can, kind I, of what I'm doing right now. We could t- definitely talk forever. But fortunately, we don't have to. No. We don't have to. We're free human beings. This is where I whip out the American flag. <laughs> and my buddy, Mr. Bald Eagle. <laughs> Anywho. Do we have any more emails, Joe? We unfortunately have no more emails. Aww. Um, I can double check one thing real quick. There's no spam email on here. Oh, more. More. Spam emails. Show me more. Spam emails. There's no spam. Hooray, no spam here. Google, you don't understand (laughs) what makes me happy anymore. You don't know. It's like we've lost touch over the years, Google, (laughs) you and I. Well, then I guess with that, that rounds out another episode. Okay. That was our special email episode. Next time from us, you can expect us to be talking a lot about fast cars. Fast. Yeah. I've begun day drinking right now in anticipation for Furious 7, which we are going to go see in a little bit. I'm so excited. We're so excited. I watched every Fast and Furious movie in a span of like 48 hours. Welcome to the club, brother. (laughs) I was going to settle on two one night, ended up watching three. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Screw early morning class. (laughs) So... With that being said, that was another episode of Shit Gamers Say. 
I'm not going to pimp any of our stuff because if you're listening to this, you probably already know. And if not, listen to our next podcast. Yes. It'll be a great time. Send us emails. Send us emails. ZucchiniThumbs at gmail.com is the address. Send your emails there hot and fast, and hopefully we'll have another one of these episodes. If not, I will bother you guys on social media. (laughs) And as you can see, we will answer like any question. We literally answer any question. (laughs) Get wild, everybody. Stay turnt.